Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Today the question is, how does Jesus restore the glory of God to us? The word destitute is a word that Paul uses in one of his well-known verses, a verse that many believers have committed to memory, Romans 3, 23, um, 4, that tells us that Paul is explaining something or giving justification for something, giving evidence of something, for all have sinned, that's the aorist tense, and are <clears throat> continually destitute of the glory of God. Hustereo is the word that I translated as destitute. Uh, tradition, traditionally, uh, Bibles use the word fall short, and that technically falls within the guidelines, falls within the definition of the word hustereo, but it does not adequately describe the nature of what hustereo means. Uh, but let's uh, not get ahead of ourselves Let's get a context for this verse so that then we, having understood what being destitute of the glory of God means, we want to then, in this podcast, answer the question, how do we regain the glory of God? And when, when does that happen? Paul, in Romans 3, verse 21, is at a great pivot. <clears throat> Paul, in Chapter 3, in the first 20 verses, shows that the whole world lies under judgment, the judgment of God due to sin. All are prone to death, <clears throat> all will die, and there is none that God can find who seeks after him. But the good news is, is that a righteousness is now being made available by God to all sinners. And it's a righteousness that we need that is a gift of God that comes apart from the Mosaic law. He says in 21, but now, at this point in history, now, apart from the law, the law of Moses, a righteousness of God, that genitive would be a righteousness which comes from God, probably, has been revealed and testified to by the law and the prophets. Now, isn't that remarkable? The law is the Pentateuch, or the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and the prophets. The prophets begin with Joshua. <clears throat> That's the second section of the Hebrew Bible, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the prophets go all the way to Malachi. G Paul says here that both the Pentateuch and the prophets, beginning with Joshua, all the way through the major and the minor prophets, including books like Judges, they testify to a righteousness 
which comes from God apart from the law. So the law testifies that there is a righteousness apart from it. Isn't that fascinating? And it's a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who is believing. Everyone who is believing. And the reason, he says, that this righteousness is to everyone who is believing is because there's no distinction in everyone. And the reason that there is no distinction in the human race, there is no dividing the human race up into groups that one is uh, distinct from another, we're all classified by this verse. For we all, or all, have sinned. That's the aorist tense. That's stating a historical fact. It's like a snapshot view of the human race. We're sinners. All have sinned. And the next verse, excuse me, the next verb is not aorist. It is present tense, and it's in the middle voice, which means that, yes, we all have sinned, and we continually, ongoing, are destitute of the glory of God. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's the middle voice. The middle voice is the personal element in a verb. If it's active or passive, it has a different meaning or nuance to it. But when it's in the middle, it's something we feel personally. And so we all have sinned, yes, but we all continually feel it, feel that we are destitute of the glory of God. The word destitute is the same word that Luke uses in chapter 15 of the prodigal son who, after he left for the far country and hired himself out to a citizen in that country, went out to feed pigs, and he himself was starving to death. The traditional translations say, and he began to be in need. Boy, <laughs> is that ever an underwhelming statement. Yes, the word here is hustereo. He began to be destitute. The prodigal son had nothing. He had no, no food. He had no resources. He's plumb out of money. And that pain brought him to repentance. Well, according to Paul, because of sin, we are destitute of the glory of God. How do we gain it back? I mean, we're destitute. How do we gain back the glory that humans once had in Adam and Eve, our father and mother? How do we get it back? Does the Bible give us an answer to the question, how do we recover from this destitution? Where can we go? Where do we sign up for the glory of God? Well, of course, it, it all begins with the free justification that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. But the concept of the glory of God is a little bit slippery. Uh, we, we love the word. We love to say the word. And we talk about the glory of God or the glory of Christ frequently. But we don't necessarily know what glory is. We don't know what the glory of God is. And We've lost it. How do we get it back? And when we get it back, what do we look like? 
Are we changed? Are we different? Do we glow? Well, some words that Paul uses uh, might help us, first of all, to kind of get our arms around this concept. And then we'll move quickly into how do we get the glory of God back? And when does it happen? Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 and 4, is comparing the ministry of Moses with the ministry of the New Covenant. He's comparing the uh, law, which was engraved in letters on stone, with the much more glorious ministry that is now written on our hearts. And so he makes this statement in verse 7, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, there's our word, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? We answer yes. If the old, outdated, outmoded ministry uh, had glory to it, then the new ministry, which is full of life, by the Spirit, would be much more glorious. He goes on with his argumentation. If the ministry that condemns men, that's the law, is glorious, how much more glorious the ministry that brings righteousness. Yes! For what was glorious has no glory in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Paul then concludes by saying, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the hope of glory that we all have by virtue of the ministry of the Spirit. So we've now broached the subject. Uh, how do we regain, how do we recover the glory of God, which was lost? Well, he tells us here that the first ministry, the, the first covenant called the Mosaic Law, was sort of like step one, when there was some recapturing of glory, however limited that it was. But now it's been surpassed by a new covenant ministry with the Holy Spirit who brings God's very life to us. Uh, what then is happening to us to recover the glory of God? A few verses later, in the same chapter of First Corinthians chapter three, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul makes an amazing statement. And we, who with unveiled faces, that's a connection to Moses' face that had to be covered, we with unveiled, uncovered faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness as we contemplate the glory 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we, with unveiled faces, all contemplating, all gazing at the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That verse has a lot of syntax, a lot of grammar, a lot of choppiness to it. If I can, let me summarize it. We who have the Spirit, because of our faith in Christ, we who are uh, indwelt by the Spirit, we are prompted with freedom to gaze continually at the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the face of God. When we look at Jesus, we see the image of God. We see the face of God. He is the external manifestation of what God looks like. And as we focus on Christ and focus on his glory, for example, in our worship, in our Bible study, in our discussions, as we gaze continually at the glory of Christ, Paul says we are gradually, continually being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he's speaking about this uh, process of sanctification, where we are gradually coming into conformity to the image of Christ. And that means that we are gaining more and more of the glory of Christ. So the transformation begins when we be become a Christian. And the transformation goes throughout our life as we focus on the glory of God in our daily lives, in our worship, in our life as a church. When we make our worship Christ-focused, Christ-dominated, and not focus on anybody else, but focused on the glory of Christ, transformation occurs. This is somewhat of a, of a rabbit trail, but it's so important that the Christian diet of music and of reading and of exegesis and exposition in the scriptures ought to be diehard and solid and deep and uh, motivating us to be critical thinkers about what the scripture is saying. Our hymns ought to be chock full of Christ. It's not about us. It's about Christ and it's about his glory. And so the standard for worship, the bar that we set for worship, has to be set very, very high. The minimum is the glory of Christ. And of course, the, the minimum is the maximum. They're both the same. That's why it's so important for those who are worship leaders, those who lead in worship, are making sure that what they feed the people, the diet, the musical diet, the teaching diet, is deep and solid. Not soup, but roast beef, vegetables, lots of protein, tough. They need teeth to get through it. They need to be able to think. I remember a man coming to our congregation who came from another congregation, he says, every time I hear you, Tim, when you preach, I'm forced to think. I didn't want to say anything, but I said, you ought to be forced to think every time you attend worship. 
Whoever is teaching should be forcing you to think and to think deeply because we're dealing with a subject that is absolutely profound, and that's the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a verse that I want to turn to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, that kind of shows us um, the end result of this journey of transformation, this journey of going from one degree of glory to the next. And I probably perhaps um, ought to bring up that verse, if I can here, real quickly. Um, it's not, not apparent to me right here. Let me see if I can 318. Yeah, Second Thess, Second Thessalonians. I'm turning here, and I want to go to verse thirteen. Second Thessalonians two thirteen and fourteen. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you. God elected you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through trust in the truth. He called you through to this, he called you to this through our gospel, that you, that's plural, you as a congregation, you Thessalonians, might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, another way of talking about that is in Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, we one day will share the glory of Jesus Christ in paradise. We will share and be fully transformed to his image when we enter heaven, when we enter glory. So the transformation begins today. And it's a day-by-day -day transformative process of changing from one degree of glory to the next by gazing on Christ, focusing on Christ, thinking about Christ, praying to Christ, having our attitudes, our emotions, our habits continually being exposed to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important for congregations to be familiar with the Gospels. Most Christians that I know of were raised on the epistles, but they've got it backwards. Every church needs to go through the Gospels to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. That's why they're first. That's why they introduce us to the New Testament. Is, is the uh, first four books are so important. There we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ through his humanity through what he does with the lost and what he does with the poor and those who, who are forsaken and those who are marginalized. That's all part of the image of God. That's all part of the heart of God is the reflection that we see in Jesus Christ. And so you want to grow in glory? You want to grow in transformation? You want to move forward? Then soak up Christ. Focus on Christ. Sing about Christ. Ponder Christ. Ponder his glory. Search him out in the Gospels. Take the next year and go through one of the Gospels, verse by verse. Make a journal and pray each day for that transformative process to impact you and your family and your whole church. Who knows? 
God may just start a fire in you that may sweep through your family or through your neighborhood or through your ministry or through your congregation. So we've tried to talk about the lack of glory due to sin. All have sinned and all are continually what destitute and we feel it of the glory of God. But the hope of the gospel is that we regain that glory. We are destined for glory. And that's because we believe in the glorious one, the glorious Christ. And as we follow him, listen to him, yearn for him, pray to him, love him, and make his life our life, we are changed. Uh, you've heard of the, the, the person who stared at the great face, the great stone face, and he was transformed into uh, that very image of that stone face on that mountain. Well, perhaps this is a, an analogy that will help us to, as we gaze at Christ, as we contemplate Christ. We are changed into what we gaze at. We become what we worship. We become like what we worship. We act like the, th the person that we worship. And so it's a transformative process. It's day by day. It's a joy. It has its ups and downs. It has its discouragements. But nevertheless, it's a transformation process that never ends until we reach uh, the Eastern Gate. So I hope this has helped just a little bit, maybe to understand how we regain, how we recover the glory of God that we lost due to sin. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your attention. And I pray God's glory to come upon you in a fresh way as a result of this. Shalom. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com.